This morning, I'm going to talk about the direction of thought, like thinking the right way around. And um, I have a fifth, lots of practical illustrations. Well, hopefully they're, they're, they make sense. Um, but you notice there the little subset there which says the direction of flow. Now, I'm a plumber, and so direction of flow is fairly important. Um, in, in most systems of plumbing, you don't want the, um, you know, the, the water or the effluent flowing the wrong way. Um, in particular, you know, when you do it, you're speaking about sewage systems, um, you don't want them flowing the wrong way because if they do, well, what's meant to go one way to a treatment plant ends up coming out the other way, you know, into your yard or, or into your bathroom or, you know, it's very unpleasant smelly and you don't really want it. And so direction of flow is quite important um, from a plumbing point of view. Um, even with drinking water, as you would say potable water supply, you don't want that really going the wrong direction either. Um, and there's a whole field of plumbing called cross flow prevention, which um, prevents contaminated water flowing back into the water supply so that we don't you know, for example, you know, you got your garden hose and the swimming pool and, and there's a, a fire down the street and um, the fire brigade comes along and attaches to the fire main. Their big, big pump starts sucking water out of the main and creates, can create a negative pressure and you end up with having your swimming pool water going back into the pipes and then you, you drink that water later. You, you don't want that. Um, you don't want it even more if it's in places like abattoirs or you know, or, you know, some puddle in the backyard that, you know, the hose is lying in. So, so they have ways and means of preventing backflow. And direction of flow is very important. Um, and so I'm going to talk a little bit about our thinking. Sometimes we think about things backwards. Or sometimes we think about things in a, in a way that's a mixture. And Again, this type of subject could go a very long way and in many, many different, different directions, but let's give it a go. We're going to read Psalm 46. I don't, I'm just going to read the whole psalm because it's a wonderful psalm, but we're going, to have, we're going to pay particular attention to one verse in that psalm. So we'll begin. Psalm 46. If you read it in most of your Bibles, it'll, it'll have a title there. Say, God is our fortress. Says, to the choir master, the sons of Korah, well, of the sons of Korah, so that's the guys who wrote it, according to Alamoth, a song, God is our refuge and strength, a very, very present help in trouble. Therefore, he will not, therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. Though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, Sela. All this is picture language, it's poetry. You know, we're talking about mountains, we're talking about waters, you know, and what, what the meaning of this, you know, it's talking about, it's talking about nations, it's talking about peoples, you know, peoples and mountains tr trembling, kings and rulerships. Um, 
you know, different areas of dominions, you know, on earth. And all these things, um, you know, they can be subject to fear and trembling and, and sometimes they give way. And of course the Lord's sovereign over it all. But when these things happen on earth and in time with governments and peoples and raging, it, it affects us. You know, it affects and, and fear can be present. And right there at the beginning, God is our refuge, refuge and strength. He's very present in our time of need. We'll continue. It says, There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He uttered his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. So we pause and consider a little bit again. You know, here we have the repeating of these concepts. But now we have God is in the midst. Even though nations rage and kingdoms totter. You know, the Lord utters his voice and he's more powerful than all of that. And the psalm goes on. Come. Behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Again, we consider, you know, there... You know, the Lord is with us. He is in it. And in, in one sense, and in many senses, he, 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 he causes it. You know, even though the sins of, of humanity have, a, have an effect, then God, the way that he set the world up, you know, he deals with sin. The consequences of sin actually cause ramifications in our own lives. And we come to, a, we come to, nations come to a, a point of crisis because of these things and then the Lord intervenes and sometimes it's fearful but in the end it's the Lord you know who who makes wars to cease and he does it by his word by truth his very self you know he is truth it prevails and it's that's what causes wars to cease and of course there'd be dozens of messages that you could preach out of that psalm and dozens of points to make but I want to concentrate on this one verse this one here that says there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God the holy habitation of the most high let's have a let's consider that one verse there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God and so I was talking before about direction of flow now when you think of this particular passage that particular verse you know there is a river and there's streams. Now, in your mind, if you think of a river and streams and direction of flow, you think, okay, we have mountains and then we have little gullies and then they flow into streams or creeks and then they'll go and they'll join together and that becomes a river and that river has a flow and it goes out to the ocean. That's generally what happens. Occasionally, you'll have a river that flows into a lake like we have in the middle of Australia, which doesn't go to the ocean. It's below sea level. That happens a few places in the world. But the picture remains the same. You have this idea of the water flows in this direction. And so, yeah, water does run downhill, 
Uh, that is correct. Um, but with regard to this particular verse, is that the correct way to view that particular verse? It says, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. Is the flow always going this way? You know, is it going from all those little tributaries down into bigger ones and then into the big one, just as you would in a normal river system? When we think of that verse, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. I wonder. And so this is the version that we read out of the, the um, English Standard Version. It says, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. Now, the holy habitation of the Most High, well, that is... That's the temple, that's, that's us, that's the people, because that's the Lord, in his amazing way, lives in us, you know. It's an amazing. But at the same time, we, as living stones, are built up together into a structure, a building, a spiritual building made not by human hands, but by the hand of God, that God dwells in. So not only does God live in us individually, but he, he longs to live in us as a people. And so this is true in a local sense, like here in Mount Morgan, but it's also true in, a, in, in the greater sense with regard to there is only one church in the earth. When God looks down from heaven, he doesn't see you know, those who follow Peter or those who follow Apollos or, or, or those who follow Paul. Rather, he sees those who follow Christ, one church, one people, you know, and in our modern sense we could say, you know, God doesn't look down from heaven and see Catholics or Baptists and Presbyterians and Anglicans, etc. God looks down, he looks at the heart, those who bear the name of Christ. And so this is where God lives and he, habitation means that it's not just a visit, he wants to remain there. And so this is something quite special that the Lord is leading us more and more into to understand about the habitation of God. Same verse, this is a different translation. This is a Young's literal translation. A river, its rivulets rejoice the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. That idea of tabernacles is it's talking about a place of dwelling, a place of abiding. Here we have this other word, instead of streams, it's rivulets. Quite interesting. We'll go here to another version, which I didn't put the actual... I'd have to look up which one that is. There is a river whose streets may grow the city of God, the, the holy place where the Most High dwells. There you go. There's another one here. I think that one, other one was the NIV. This one here, you'll notice I put these little... Um, Things. This is a tool that you can find on, on the computer that I use. This is eSword. And so you have those little numbers. They're the, the Hebrew um, dictionary numbers. And if you hover your mouse over them, the, the meaning comes up of the actual word that's used in the, the original um, Hebrew that, it was, that they've used to produce these translations. And so this is the King James Version, this one. He says, there is a river, the streams... Whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. And so that particular word there, streams, which is, you know, number 6,388, you know, when you look at that, the meaning there says, it does mean a river, it does mean a stream, it also means a rill, 
a rill. That is a small channel of water such as in irrigation. So this is something that we need to think about. Ah, there's an idea, something that's quite beautiful with regard to making the city glad and making the peoples glad and making the peoples prosperous, which this fits into, fits into quite, quite beautifully, is that when you think about, when you think about a, um, an irrigation system, especially what would have been in the minds of, of the, the, you know, the, the men who, who wrote this particular psalm, they would have been familiar and they would have seen the way that a river was used to irrigate the land around. And, you know, what they used to do was, you know, create channels and, and do some things so that they could, they could make the water flow in a different direction. And so thinking about the direction of the flow and then thinking about, about who benefits you know, if you were to create a channel, an irrigation channel, I got a picture of some here. Look, here's a here's a few. Um, this is something that you might have seen, and I didn't look too hard and spend too long. But but you could imagine a big river, and it's flat land on either side because it's a river delta, which was very common, especially in Egypt. But but you would you see these in other places in the world, where you have a river and they want to water some plants, their crops. And so they create these channels, which we create, you know, and then it means that the water flows away from the river. And it flows out to the benefit of the fields so they can use it to produce a crop and produce a harvest. Um, if the, the channel wasn't there, well, then they wouldn't, they wouldn't have productive land. They, they use this water to make the land productive. And now if there is rain, then you'll find that these channels um, will flow in the other direction because water will flow off the land into the channels and then it'll make its way back to the river. Um, now, if you were somebody who didn't have access to, you know, modern earth-moving equipment, you know, like excavators and bulldozers and the like, and all the laser levelling equipment we have nowadays. Um, if you were to build one of these particular systems where you wanted to irrigate the land, where do you think you would dig your channel? If you wanted to produce a channel, what do you think you'd do? Thinking practically, what, what do you reckon? Well, I know what I'd do, is I would find the spot where there is already an existing street. You know, a little, because it's a lower spot. And that'd be the softer spot. And you might even, not even have to do much digging at all. You just go through, all you might have to do is just put like a damn wall right there next to the river. And then just pump or lift water out of the river into that, and then it would back up into that stream and it would push water all the way back up into the field and then all the way up in the field then you could then lift it from there and water your crops. Um, which is sort of that first picture there you can see that 
idea. The water's heading down there, but there's other little side channels they've dug off it um, to the side. Can you see that? It's a, a field of, what's that? Barley or something. There's a little track through it. But you can see there's little side branches. And so these type of things were done, you know, in, back in the, in the day, and they used to dig all these things by hand. Um, this, this one down in the bottom right there, that's a modern field that's been done, you know, the channels have been created by farming equipment to create those, that flood irrigation. But it's the same type of idea, they used to do that, you know, back in the day. And the point here with regard to this illustration is that, you know, the channels were there, it required work. You know, in modern terminology, we say this is, this is civil works. You know, we're actually putting in pipes and dams and, and you know, channels and little, little floodgates and, and things like that so we can manage the flow of water. And in the old days, they used to do that. It also required lifting the water. So they, nowadays, we just kick in a pump, big pumps, and we'll pump mass amounts of water. But in the old, back in before technology was like it is today, they still used to lift water. And they came up with quite ingenious means of lifting water. You know, like they could lift quite a lot. They had levers with big buckets and they could put the water in, lift it and go around and put it on the other side of the wall. And guys would spend all day just lifting water from one side of a wall to the other side of the wall so it would flow up these channels. And somebody else, you know, would be there with a bucket pouring it out onto the land and producing. So they had, there was a lot, of, a lot of work involved in moving the water. Nowadays we, you know, modern irrigation, they spend money and um, use pumps. And so the work is done with machines, but it's a lot of work. It's quite expensive um, to shift water. And of course, any system like this requires maintenance. Because if you just leave it, it you know, every time it rains, some water runs down the other way, puts a bit of silt in, and each time it gets... So you had to go through and clean out the channels. No, and I'm sure if you had one of those, um, you know, ancient means of, of lifting water, like, I didn't get a, a picture of one, but it's like a seesaw, you know, where the, you, you use the benefit of leverage, you know, a longer lever on one side and you dip this big bucket down into the water on one side, pick it up, swing it around over the wall and tip it out on the other. So you can shift a lot of water in that way. And um, there's even Archimedes' screw. He, he worked out a way of, of having a rotational way of lifting water from one low point to a high point. Um, that didn't happen in the Middle East that I know of. But nevertheless, all of this equipment needed to be maintained. And of course you had to feed the workers. I guess in those days they would have had slaves that did that. Even they needed to be fed. Otherwise they, they couldn't do the work. And so the whole point of what I'm trying to get at with this illustration, which is quite elaborate, I admit, is that there is a river that the Lord supplies. And that river comes from the Lord and flows out from his throne room, out of his grace, out of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and it flows. And it's a blessing to the city. But how is it a blessing to the city? How is it a blessing to us? 
The way that it's a blessing to us is that we have access to that water. And we're actually meant to tap into it. There's many pictures in scripture, you know, where you know, we're meant to walk into the, the river. You think of the Ezekiel example, you know, where you go into your ankles and your knees and up to your loins and then eventually you're swimming in the river. But this parallel out of this psalm, the illustration is that this water is available and it's meant to be useful. It is useful. We're meant to make use of it, so we're meant to have access to it. And so the Lord is our supply. And so this reminds us of a, of a similar concept that Jesus spoke about. And do you, do you think you can pick off the top of your head what, what Jesus might have used as his illustration with regard to, you know, because we're talking here about a river, about something coming from the river, which produces a harvest, fruitfulness, you know, water, channels, irrigation, crops growing, produces a harvest and it makes the city glad and so there's something that Jesus said you'll find it in John 15 which is a similar concept similar concept let's read this one it says you find this John 15 5 I am the vine you are the branches whoever imbibes in me and I in him he it is that bears much fruit for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. So think about this. Why, why the connection? You know, we're here now, we're talking about vines and branches. Why the connection? Well, it's, it's so that you can be fruitful, so that you can bear much fruit, so that you can belong. If there was no connection, you think in the natural, if a branch is not connected to the trunk of a tree, well, then the branch doesn't produce any fruit. Even worse than that, it withers. It doesn't wither instantly, but it withers, it dies, as the scripture says, it's gathered and thrown into the fire because it has no use. But think again, what happens with a branch? Which, what's the direction of the flow? You know, for the branch to grow and for the branch to bear fruit, which direction does things flow? Does anybody know much about sort of botany and the way that plants grow and work? I mean, I'm, yeah. So we know from, from, you know, our basic biology with regard to plants is that if there's a tree and it's not in the ground, it's uprooted, you know, so it doesn't have access to water, nutrients that are in the soil, well, then the tree will die. 
And so Jesus, who is our vine, if we think about a tree, you know, Jesus is like the trunk, the main part, and it's attached to the ground. And so, the, so for the branches, being attached is the source of the nutrients. It's the source of the waters. Now, water. Trees, generally speaking, as far as I know, there may be a few exceptions, you know, like, like those air plants, but they're not trees. Um, trees draw water from the ground. They don't suck it out of the air. Um, and so trees need to have branches that are attached to the trunk for it to be a tree. Um, otherwise, it's just a trunk and there's no leaves and no fruit. So the, the attachment. And so the direction of flow is from the source of nutrient and water, which comes from the earth, from the ground, up through the trunk, and then into the branches. Um, but we know that branches do things. They produce fruit, they produce leaves, and leaves photosynthesize, don't they? And so in this environment, the sun comes along and chemical reaction takes place. Carbon dioxide is taken out, plus the energy from the sun, and it produces something. Let's not complicate it. I haven't, my plant chemistry, biology is not up to date, but it produces something which is, which is energy and glucose, here we go, someone that studied this recently, <laughs> produces a sugar, which is used for energy, can go back and other chemical reactions happen. And part of the, I think, you know, part of the carbon that makes up the actual new growth comes out of the carbon dioxide in the air. And we get a thicker branch, leaves that are producing and energy to produce fruit. And so, there also is a flow that goes back the other way, back into around the trunk to create new bark, new sap, and to cause the roots to be able to grow. So there's, it's actually a two-way thing. There's, there's stuff going in one direction and there's stuff going the other direction. But the most important is being attached to the ground because you lop a branch off, the tree will survive. You know, you can leave and lop all the branches off and somehow the tree still survives. You know, this is the way that God's created these things, the way that nature works. Um, but nevertheless, in both of these examples, both of these illustrations that I've used, the, the irrigation system, water does flow both ways. In a tree, nutrients, stuff, flows in both directions. And this is actually how it's meant to be. You know, what is produced? Well, fruit and growth. How is it produced? Well, well, because it's the way that God intended things. It's the way that God set it up, both in, in terms of the biology of things and with irrigation, the physics of things. You know, water runs downhill. And so if you want water to run uphill, we got to create a barrier and then lift water up and then it will flow the other way. That's, that's physics. You can do it in a pipe, you can do it in a channel, you can do it with a bucket. And they used to use buckets a lot.
And, um, and we, we all know that, and this makes sense, if you want to water your garden and your hose is not long enough, well, you can fill a bucket and you can go to the back corner and you can pour the water on the ground. So this is the nature of things. Now, one of the things that I want to talk about, you know, is that sometimes these things, you know, go, you think, oh, these things are flowing, it doesn't make sense. Something flows one way, but also things flow the other way. And one of the things that we can do to ourselves is that we can think that for us to be acceptable, well, we always need to be supplying something to the river. Well, well, yes, we do need to be supplying something to the river or something to the, tr to the branch, not the branch, the trunk or the vine, you know, that main core, because we're meant to be producing fruit. Because the wonderful thing about trees and plants is that not only do they produce fruit, but inside that fruit there's lots and lots of seeds to make more trees. We're meant to, to grow, and that's the nature of the kingdom. It's going to fill the entire world. It, it is filling the entire earth. And, becoming the largest thing in the world. But we can have a look at these, these concepts. We'll go back to the original one. There is a river. And we know that that river, you know, it's something that flows from the Lord. He's our source and he's our supply. But sometimes we will cut ourselves off from the river and we'll think that, oh, you know, my particular stream is not contributing. I'm all dry. You know, because I'm not doing this, because I haven't done that, you know, because my circumstances are like this, then we disqualify ourselves and we can be hard on ourselves because I've made this mistake, because I've fallen over in this sin. Ah, oh, therefore, therefore I'm not contributing anything. And that doesn't make, that doesn't make me glad nor the city glad and that is true but we're thinking in the wrong direction. When we are in that place where we feel like as if we're not producing any fruit, and even though we might not be, when we're in a place where we, we seem to be stuck in sin, and that may be the truth, and we are not contributing anything that's beneficial to the river, if we go, nah, my creek is dry, and I'm not going to be part of the river, we're thinking about it the wrong way. Because even in that state where you're dry, and I would venture to say that even, even more so, especially in that state, if you're dry, well, the water's meant to flow the other way. The water's meant to come out of the river and into your little rivulet, your little channel, and flow back into your life so that you can produce a fruit, so you can produce harvest, so that no longer is it dry. The water's not meant to always be flowing in the one direction. Yes, you are meant to be a blessing, but the river is also our supply so we can be a blessing. And so here we have these two things that are true at the same time. Just like in a tree, for the tree to grow, the leaves need to be on the tree. If you take all the leaves off a tree, the tree will not die, not in that moment. It'll just grow more leaves because it stores energy. 
but it won't grow very much, like I would say. I've never ever asked the question. I'm sure somebody's done this experiment, you know, you pull all the leaves off a tree and measure to see how much it grows. But I'm pretty sure that if you pull all the leaves off a tree and every time a new bud come out with a new leaf and you nip that off, if you do that for long enough, say for an entire year, and then you, you know, waited a few more years and got it back to normal, and you cut the tree down and you looked at the little tree rings to measure its growth, you'd find in that year it didn't grow. You probably wouldn't even be able to find a growth ring because it had no energy. It needs the leaves. And so the point of what I'm trying to say is we need to be attached and we need our thinking to be correct. Stuff comes from the river so we can bear fruit, so we're not dry. Because not only do we put stuff into God in our service, but God, even more importantly, puts stuff into us. And so this creates this, this dichotomy where you have these two things that are true that seem to be opposing, but they're true at the same time. And you find this a lot in spiritual things. You know, for example, in Matthew 10, we find Jesus said, whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And this is like two opposing thoughts, and they seem like as if they're heading in two opposite directions, uh, but they're not. Because if you lose your life, that means let go of what you want, your own importance, the things that you want, and you find what the Lord wants, then you actually find that, oh, he's the source. He's the river. He is that, that vine. If I am attached to him, I receive from him, it flies this way, then I can bear fruit, then I have leaves, and stuff flows the other way. And so the whole kingdom of God is benefited. And so one of the most important things that you do in salvation is recognise that you yourself are a sinner, you lay down your life, and then the Lord saves. Grace flows, and then you can be a blessing. Another one, Luke 6, judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. And so, this one, you can find it again in Matthew, this concept of when somebody does something that might be offensive to you, if you reserve your judgment against that person, then that something that you're going, an attitude that goes out towards somebody else comes back towards you. Here we go, direction of flow. It's a diff slightly different concept, but it's still the same idea of, of we're talking about directions of flow, is that my attitude towards others turns around and comes straight back towards me, except it gets multiplied back towards me. So if I want to bless somebody, I have an attitude of being gracious and forgiving, and not judging, that's how things will work in return for me. And the negative example is also true. There's another one here that says, Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, run over and poured into your lap. It's the next verse along, which I just mentioned. You know, when, whenever you give, 
giving, it comes back. And this, this is what Christ also wants. You know, he's a river. He gives to us stuff. So what does he want in return? Well, he wants us. But he, when, he, when he gets us, what does he get? He gets fruitfulness. And he gets growth. Another concept, you find many of these in scriptures, says, but seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So we're talking here about, you know, your basic needs. You know, what you're going to eat, where you're going to sleep, what you're going to wear. And you could attach a whole other concepts, more concepts to it. But here he talks about, you know, forget about these things that are, might be primary in your mind. If you seek first the kingdom, then those other things will be added to you. So there's so many things of these in, in spiritual thinking that seem to be upside down from a human perspective. Here's another one, Matthew 26. says, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And so you can have these two things, and we do have with us this ever-present reality where the flesh is with us, where we have something that is willing and something that is weak at the same time. And what does the Lord say? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. And the watching and praying is a little bit like all of that work that needs to be done, you know, to, to maintain those irrigation systems and to actually make them work. It's, it's not automatic that the water flows uphill. You have to make it flow uphill. We have the flesh, and the things of the flesh oppose the things of the spirit. But when we submit to God's ways, and we watch, and we pray, and we're alert, and we're self-controlled, to use another scripture that we could you know, pick out of the many that we could use, it's like, it's like getting the bucket into the river and putting it up into our little channel so that the water will flow and we can water our fields so we can produce a harvest. So that that which was dry is no longer dry, it's wet. It produces a harvest. When we watch and pray, it's, 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 it attaches us. It's like something that, that attaches us to the vine so that we can draw on the water and the nutrients that come from the vine and we actually grow leaves and produce fruit which benefits the whole. Fruit and growth are produced. And we find ourselves in this place where, you know, we, we can disqualify ourselves. If we let ourselves go and don't attend to the lifting the water out of the river and putting it into the channels of our lives, and we find ourselves in a place where we disqualify ourselves because we don't feel like we're producing any fruit. And the real reason is we disqualify ourselves because we can't push water uphill. You know, we, we physically can't push water uphill if there's no water there. We have to actually get it from the source, which is the river. And when you do that, then you're fine. You produce fruit and you grow and you're part of the blessing of the whole.
You know, and the other reason to think that we could disqualify ourselves and often feel, you know, give up on ourselves or whatever it is we do to ourselves in our thinking is we, we, we try and produce fruit or growth from afar. I know there's, in times I've, I've done this, you, you, you go, oh no, you know, I don't really like myself at the moment or my circumstances are not matching up. And so you go somewhere and somehow out of your own willpower, out of your own strength, me, I know what I need to do, you're going to try and produce something. But you don't do it in a way where you're attached. And how are we attached to the Lord? We're attached to the Lord, well, in our own personal communion with him, which is your prayer and the reading of the Bible, you know, the self-control, you know, not running to other things to fill empty holes in your heart. But we're also attached through, through fellowship, through being part of the body of Christ, listening, listening to others, serving others, listening to messages, being a part of the community. That's, that's one of the practical ways that the Lord has given to us to be attached. Also, you know, participating in, in the sacraments, you know, table the Lord each week. Such a blessing. These things are, are nourishing to our souls. But if we neglect those things and we try and produce fruit, it's like, it's like a, a branch that's cut off from the trunk trying to produce fruit and grow leaves. It just doesn't happen. And in that place, we can disqualify ourselves because no, we're not doing what we thought we should do. And the whole point of all this story is that it's not possible to produce fruit and to have a, an irrigation channel or a stream. It doesn't, it's not full of water if it's not attached to the river. If the infrastructure's not there, and if the things are not done, to lift the water from one side to the other, so that it flows in. Occasionally you'll have a time when there's, you know, like high water levels. And they're wonderful times. You know, if you were, imagine if you were the slave, <laughs> you know, you spent all day, you know, lifting water from one side of a dam wall to the other so that you can fill this channel. And, um, you know, it rains upstream and the water level rises. And all you had to do was just lift that little thing up and the water just floods up. We can get those experiences with the Lord too. You know, and, and we can actually, in many ways, that's, that's what being filled with the Holy Spirit does for us. It takes the work out of it. it takes the labour out of it. That doesn't mean we're not, we can't be willing to do the basic disciplines of, of faith, you know, fellowship, reading the word and prayer. But when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit comes, fills us, it's like the water levels rise. And you can just pick up that little floodgate that you've got in your damn wall and the water just flows on in. And that's the way it's meant to be. Have those levels rise. And that's what we're believing for. And so the battle, of course, is in the mind. That's meant to be a picture of a, a brain full of many, 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 many thoughts. And, um, and that's where the battle is in our mind. 
But Holy Spirit, would you come and fill us? Because when the Holy Spirit fills us, it actually is meant to flow out into other parts of our lives and into our fellowship, into our relationships and into the community in which we live and we produce fruit. And we, what the fruit? Fruit's got seeds in it. Seeds fall to the ground and they grow. And that's the nature of God's kingdom. So this last thing, which takes the, the effort out of it, and that's probably a little bit glib, because you always have to be intentional with your faith. You know, faith... Faith is one of those things that when you believe, it's, it's easy to believe. And when you don't believe, because everything in your life is screaming something else at you, well, that requires a deliberate choice. And it requires tenacity, it requires holding on. And that's why the Lord gives us one another. He gives us his word, he gives us his Holy Spirit to help us. But to actually overcome in those times where you've got a direction of flow issue where you find yourself wanting to put into God but putting your hand up towards the Lord saying I don't deserve it that's a problem that's um, in plumbing terms it's called a non-return valve you know we only want the water to flow in one direction it's not what it's meant to be like with the Lord Things flow in both directions. But the main source, the main source is the river, which is him. And as that psalm says, there is a river whose streams make glad. So Father, I lift up to you my own heart. And I lift up to you, Lord, all of our hearts. Lord, the, the challenge, Lord, to our own self, Lord, directly is... Lord, do we look to you or do we look to ourselves? Does our sense of belonging, our sense of fruitfulness come from our reliance on you and Lord, being topped up? As the Lord Jesus says, Lord, if you would come after me, you must deny yourself daily and take up the cross and follow. And Lord, that taking up of the cross Lord, from a human point of view, it does require effort and discipline, not giving up on these things that are fundamental to our faith. And Lord, when we do it alone, with our thinking in one direction only, it becomes impossible over time. And it certainly doesn't bear fruit. But Lord, would you pour your spirit out upon us Lord, would you help us, Lord, do both of those things that are necessary? Lord, to, Lord, to use Lord, a bucket to get water into our, into our own lives for fruitfulness. But also, Lord, the filling, the filling of your Holy Spirit, that water would flow, living water would flow, that we would produce fruit and that we would grow. So I ask you for this grace. not disqualify ourselves. Thank you, Lord. Amen.